Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Uh, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I think those are still a thing that people do in 2021. Not sure. I've not released an episode since last year. Uh, so, but do those things. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review. And abouttoreview.com has full show notes and links to all of the films that are discussed. Um, so hi everybody. It is <laughs> it is me. It has been a hot second uh, since I was last behind the microphone doing one of these things. Not sure if I can still do it, but here I am anyway, giving it a try. Uh, I would ask, how is everybody? But this is a one-sided conversation, unfortunately. So I will just say, I hope that you are doing well uh, throughout all of this madness. Now that the world is kind of starting to open back up again and do things, I am super excited that in the past seven days, I got to see not one, but two films <laughs> in a theater for the first time in 15 months. The last film I saw in the theater was Harley Quinn in February of 2020. But in the past week, I got to see a couple other ones in the theater. And it was real weird. Um, just to kind of be out in the world again in an environment that used to be my second home. Like, I went from being in the theater sometimes four times a week to then nothing in the theater for 15 months. Uh, it was crazy. And so now that I got that chance, here I am back on the, back on the microphone. And I'm not going to lie, dear listeners. Uh, I am legitimately and literally sweating while <laughs> recording this by myself uh, because I am nervous and that that is a weird feeling. I mean, again, this went from something that I did every week and made sure I was on top of it talking about new films and new releases and news of the week and all of those things to then not really doing much of anything in a long time. And I will say and I, I think I said this on my last episode, but it was so long ago that I truly cannot remember. Uh, thank you to everybody who has reached out over this past like 15 months, whether it is over Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, who have reached out and still asked my opinions about movies that were coming out. Because that is the thing. There were still a bunch of movies coming out in this past year. There was an incredible slate of films that came out this past year. But since they were not in the theater, it was just kind of weird. But I still had people reaching out to me, asking for my opinion. And that was really, really sweet. And I am so thankful for that. But I will admit that in this kind of 15-month uh, time, finding that spark of creativity to do this again, to get in the movie scene again, was really difficult. And so... I would watch the occasional film every now and then, not take any notes, not even think about doing a review because I was just not there mentally. Uh, but here I am, like I said, 
I think I've said that like three times now, and we're going to see how this works out. But again, thank you for, for everybody who reached out during that time. Okay, on today's episode, there are going to be reviews for two films, which are currently uh, in theaters slash streaming. Get used to every film critic saying that for the next, who knows, year? Uh, the two films that will be reviewed are going to be In the Heights and Bo Burnham Inside, which is on Netflix. But before I go into the reviews for those films, I have to cut to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, so getting right into the first review, which is for In the Heights, anyone who has listened to this show for any amount of time, or anyone who has talked to me in real life for any amount of time, knows that I am a massive musical theater fan. I grew up performing musical theater. I grew up going to musical theater. It is a huge passion of mine. So when In the Heights, when they first started filming this thing like three years ago, I was so stoked, uh, and I actually got to see this on stage here in Seattle three years ago when it uh, was here, of course, uh, with my friend Matt, uh, shout out to Silver Screen Riot. Uh, also, definitely a shout out to Matt and all of my fellow film critics who have kept busy this past year during quarantine. There are way too many to name, but just go to seattlefilmcritics.com, go through the list, and so many of my friends just kept so busy and I respect them so much for doing that. Uh, but yeah, so Matt and I got to see this on stage three years ago. It blew my mind. Was listening to the soundtrack all this time. They started filming the movie. This movie was supposed to come out last year. Like it was pretty much cut and done. And then the world caught on fire. And so of course they had to delay it. But in reality, In the Heights has been in some sort of movie conversation for the past 11 years. So the Broadway show was, of course, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, as well as written by into the screenplay, Chiara Alagria Hudes. Uh, so they have been partnering on this production of In the Heights since like 2007, and then it premiered on stage in 2008. So this has been a long time <laughs> In the works. This actually got optioned for a movie way before Hamilton. Like way before Hamilton was as big as everything was. People were talking about doing In the Heights. And then just various things as it happens. One thing kind of gets pushed aside. He then focused so much on Hamilton. Rightfully so. But In the Heights. I mean it was nominated for 13 Tonys. In its first year. And won four of them. So this is a critically acclaimed stage production that now finally gets to be seen on stage, or on stage, uh, gets to be seen in the theater as well as streaming. The story of it, 
It basically takes place over three days in a neighborhood in New York, Washington Heights, and you get to see the various things that go on day to day. It is a pretty standard kind of formula when it comes to something like this as far as here's a neighborhood, here are the people in the neighborhood, here are the various things those people are doing, and go. And when I say and go, the opening scene of this film, the first major set piece and song that we get is incredible. So this is directed by John M. Chu, who some people will know from the Step Up franchise. Some people will know from G.I. Joe. Some people will know from Crazy Rich Asians. John Chu, his directorial uh, lineage slash catalog is incredibly varied. But the way that he works with colors and the choreography, which is done by Christopher Scott, also from the Step Up franchise, and they worked together on this, this opening scene, it is exactly what you want in an opening musical scene. So with when it comes to whether it is symphonies or musicals, you have this overture, which sets the tone for the rest of the production, for the rest of the thing that you are about to watch. To compare it to something that did not do nearly as well, slash, when it did start on the path, it was doomed from the beginning, was Aladdin from a couple years ago. When Will Smith first started singing Arabian Nights within that first few minutes, it was bleak, it was off-tone, nothing made sense, and the whole time I was like, oh, this is rough. This is going to be bad. Because again, you only have one chance to kind of give people that first impression of what the film is going to be, what the musical is going to be, what the symphony or opera is going to be. And if you mess it up, you are constantly fighting for the audience's attention again. The opening scene of this film gets you so pumped and so ready. It does a phenomenal job of introducing all of the characters that you are going to be interacting with. Incredible. So as opposed to kind of listing all of the the cast for this, because again, you can just go on IMDb for this. Uh, the main character we follow is Anthony Ramos, who plays Usnavi, as well as his love interest, Vanessa, played by Melissa Baria. So with those two characters, and of course you have Abuela Claudia, and so many other moving pieces, but you get all of them in that opening song. So as we see Anthony Ramos's character, Usnavi, he is the bodega owner, and he has these dreams of going back to Puerto Rico. These dreams of reconnecting with the homeland that he left at a very young age. And he honestly does not really remember it, but he has this vision of just going back to what he considers home. Even though he has been building his life in New York, in Washington Heights. So you have that dilemma of what is home. And throughout the film, you of course get to know what is home, who is home, what does it mean to be home. Along with those struggles that he finds himself in of finding home, you have these concepts of gentrification, class struggles, family struggles, dreams succeeding, dreams failing from these various characters. One of the main characters that I do want to point out, though, is Olga Merides, who plays Abuela Claudia. She is actually the only person from the original production of In the Heights to be in this film which is a really interesting choice, but at the same time, like to at least have one person who has been connecting with the story, again, since 2008, 
She has portrayed this character, you know, on stage so many different times. And she really understands the depth of this character, Abuela Claudia, who is the matriarch of the neighborhood, who everybody goes to, everybody relies on, everybody is just connected to. She gives one of the most phenomenal performances of this entire movie. And again, they changed a lot of things from the stage production, from the numbers that they do. They cut like six songs from the stage production. But we get Olga, and she gets her solo, Paciencia y Fe. In this movie, it is kind of towards the end, like the third act, whereas in the play, a little bit earlier. Oh my God. That song and that whole entire performance will destroy you. It is so powerful. The choreography is incredible. The colors are incredible. I knew this was coming. Like, I, I know every song from this production, and I knew that she was going to be in it, and I was like, okay, I'm ready for this. Spoiler alert, absolutely not ready for it. It absolutely made me cry. It is just incredible. And I think that really comes from Lin-Manuel Miranda and his team recognizing she is the only person who could do this. Because the other people in this production, you know, again, some of them have ties to it. Anthony Ramos, you know, portrayed Usnavi once in like a, I think it was for the Kennedy Center or that was maybe for something else. But, you know, everybody else is kind of connected to it in different ways. Nobody is as connected to it as Olga except for Lin-Manuel and Chiara. So that was phenomenal. She deserves so much credit for that. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really cool as far as casting, so Daphne Rubin Vega plays Daniela, who is this owner of the barbershop, not barbershop, beauty shop, owner of the beauty shop along with these three amazing women. And the women in her shop use this narrative device that is very common in musical theater of the trio of women who kind of propel the story forward, who are giving the backstory, giving the juice, and they kind of keep that going throughout the film. You, of course, see this same type of trio in the musical version of Footloose. You see this in Crazy For You. You see this, obviously, very famously in Little Shop of Horrors. So you have these three women who are doing that same thing. I mean, in Little Shop, you know, they pop up, they sing the opening song, they're there throughout the film, you know, little shop, little shop of horrors, bop, shoe, bop, little shop of terrors. So instead of that, you have these three women in the shop doing the same type of thing and constantly bringing you back to the neighborhood in various ways. So Daphne Rubin Vega as Daniela, she originated the role of Mimi in Rent, but was not able to do the movie Rent because she was pregnant at the time. So that went to Rosario Dawson. I am so glad the world gets to see Daphne Rubin Vega in this role, even though she is not connected to it, but that she missed out on the chance to do Rent, but she gets to have this. Super, super happy to see that. Um, but this film, it just, it touches on so many important issues and they brought it into, well, Brought into 2020, I will not say 2021, because this was supposed to come out last year. So they brought in some political angles like DACA and Dreamers that were not part of the stage production. And they did that, again, timing-wise, 
this would have hit so much harder last year, but due to no fault of their own, it came out this year. That is just, that is how it happens. It is fine. But those were interesting elements that they chose to bring in. They also chose to cut a character, Nina's mom, Camilla. That was an interesting choice. And then they added a character, Mark Antony, as Sonny's dad, which I do not understand why they did that. Uh, it was just, it was kind of weird. But speaking of Mark Antony, because Lin-Manuel really wants an original song Oscar, he made an original song for this musical version, which was not part of the stage production, because you have to do that. If you want an Oscar for something like this, you have to come up with an original song. He did that. It plays during the credits with Mark Antony. Okay. Like, it was the weakest song of all of them. But sure, it, it was there. Um, and I will say, though, there are a couple controversies uh, with this film. One of them is, and this is something John Chu, the director, unfortunately has been called to task for more than once, which is the colorism. The lack of dark-skinned Latinx people in this film is pretty glaring. You have great representation when it comes to people singing cultural songs in Spanish who are from Spanish-speaking countries and are either first-generation or sometimes second-generation immigrants, they nailed that. They did a really good job with that, but there is a very distinct lack of dark-skinned Latinx people in this film, and that definitely needs to be addressed. And John Chu has had multiple people talk to him about, about this, and it's still going to happen. So that is valid, and that definitely needs to get talked about, and hopefully that can change down the road. The other criticism of this film is completely unfounded. And that is what I was seeing when people were saying that they left the theater not really singing any of the music, that the music did not resonate with them and that it was not as good as some of the other musicals we have seen recently. That is insane. And yes, it is an opinion and everybody is, you know, they, they can have their own opinion and that is fine. But here is the thing that bothered me about that consensus is that dialogue was only coming from a certain group of people seeing this film. And the comparisons that they were making to other films, other musical films, and how relatable those were, to me, was just flat out offensive. If you are not able to connect to a film or musical, that is totally fine. But when you frame it in context with other things that you were able to connect with that did not have the cultural significance of a Latinx cast speaking Spanish, singing in Spanish, about a Latin community in New York, there, there were parts of that conversation and that dialogue that I was seeing online that made me very uncomfortable. So that also needs to get talked about. Um, but yeah, one of the other, again, one of the nice things though, after going over a couple controversies, I will go over one more positive. Other than the portrayals, everything is great. One of my kind of hot takes is Corey Hawkins as Benny. I actually like his voice better than the original, which is hearsay. Because obviously the original, Christopher Jackson, who was also in Hamilton, of course, you know, with everything there. But there is something about the tone 
that I really, really enjoy from Corey Hawkins. I get it. It just, it hits a little bit different and I really, really appreciated that. But from a world building perspective, not only was this filmed, you know, on location, but the various body shapes and sizes and ages that you see represented in this film, not just in the background, but you see people dancing, you see people in the chorus singing and moving and going through the neighborhoods, and you see people that are representative of that neighborhood. That was incredible. And along those lines, a weird touch that when I told the PR rep after the film that I really enjoyed that some people thought was just kind of weird, this takes place during a heat wave and then eventual blackout in New York. So many of the actors, both in front of the camera, like in the foreground and in the background, are sweating. And when I say sweating, like the back of their shirt is wet. They have pit stains. They are in a heat wave in New York City. And it felt authentic. They were moving. They were dancing. They were singing. And they were sweating. I loved that aspect. It grounded it in the reality of this fantastical musical you know, film, but it was that little touch that I really, really appreciated that they did. There is one song in this that really ratchets up that, you know, plausible, not plausible deniability, willing suspension of disbelief, you know, where people are dancing on the side of a building and it is gorgeous. The choreography of that piece in particular is incredible, but the rest of it, you know, is somewhat quote unquote realistic other than that musical number. So, in short, um, I absolutely loved this film. I loved the music. I loved the colors. There is a song at the end, Champagne, that you can immediately tell they were singing live on set. And not only were they singing on set, but they used the audio from singing on set. Yes, a lot of the times in movies like this, they are singing on set, but you have to overdub it. You have to use some ADR Because you cannot control everything. Room tone is a gift that does not happen all the time perfectly. In the song Champagne, when you see Anthony Ramos and you see Melissa Barria and they're moving and the camera is spinning around them and you hear the echoes in this room, this empty room, incredibly powerful. So I absolutely love that. Uh, And I guess that leads into my rating. So because it has been a very long time since I have given an official rating on something, and for those people who are listening to this maybe for the first time, this podcast does not use stars, it does not use letter grades, it uses a system of three, good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something that you would absolutely recommend to somebody that you came out of the theater, you were happy about it, you wanted to talk about it. Bad film was something that was just kind of meh, it was a movie, you watched it, it happened, Ugly, avoid at all costs. In the Heights, directed by John Chu and written by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Chiara Alagria-Hudes, absolutely gets a good. I love this film. It is on HBO Max, as well as in theaters. I highly encourage people, if you are comfortable, of course, with that big caveat, go see this in the theater. This was the first movie I saw in the theater in 15 months, and it was absolutely worth it. It was the perfect movie just to bring me back into the world of film criticism and to be in the theater. Go see this movie. Incredible. 
Uh, okay, moving along to the next film, which is a, a completely different uh, style. And that is called Bo Burnham Inside. Now, for those folks who do not know, Bo Burnham is a comedian, an actor, and writer, and director who is known for his musical comedy. And I say that because, like, from his very beginnings on, like, YouTube, he would play the piano, he would write funny songs, he then started doing stage shows and stand-up, uh, he did made his directorial debut with 8th Grade uh, a couple years ago, which when he was in town for that, for the Seattle International Film Festival with Elsie Fisher, uh, I got the chance to hang out with him and interview him, have him on my show. He is a very, very humble guy, and it was just, it was a great interview. So I will put the link to that down below. That was from like 2017, maybe? Yikes. It was, it was a long time ago. 2018 SIF, I think. Um, but yeah, his new special called Inside. <laughs> this was written, edited, shot, and directed, and stars Bo Burnham. He did this all while in quarantine last year in what I assume is his apartment. I mean, it might be his apartment. We never really get into that. But in a isolated space during quarantine over the course of a year, he created a new comedy special that is at moments incredibly dark and bleak. And at the same time has these moments of levity and joy that are just surreal. And it, it is interesting, like, watching Bo Burnham over these years, again, as an actor and director and writer, his journey is fascinating. And this film, Inside, takes, like, this meditative, therapeutic exploration of a creator in isolation. And how there were some creators, like Bo Burnham, like some of my colleagues, and like other people last year, who really excelled during quarantine. They realized, okay, now I actually have time to pursue my creativity in a different way. I can do this on my own schedule. I'm home more often. And they really took that and ran with it. Other people, <clears throat> myself, uh, did the opposite and did not do anything because it was too stressful. I was, I just had too much anxiety and it was just too much. So watching this, what Bo Burnham was able to do in this year, or in this past year, I should say, is pretty incredible. Like he manages to poke fun at different types of, I would say, media entertainment during this. So he does a reaction video that then becomes like an Inception-style reaction video. But he also gives very poignant and direct criticism of multiple establishments and multiple media entities in his <laughs> typical, uh, yeah, I would say typical musical style because the music is very Bo Burnham. The way it was filmed, the way it was shot, the things that he talks about in this film are just very different. And watching this journey is, again, at times, really difficult because you see him at the beginning talking about this project in a mirror, you know, with the camera there, and just kind of talking about what he, what he wanted to do. Throughout the film, you see him adjusting some lights, you see him moving cameras around, like really testing out his environment. And then you also see him in dark places where you can tell that he is just tapped out. But he still wanted to finish this production. He still wanted to finish this, again, exploration of himself. Something like this project 
takes an incredible amount of bravery by just giving us these almost painful and intimate portrayals of himself. It was similar with Eighth Grade, his film from a few years ago, his directorial debut. I talked about it then, and I've talked about it since. Watching Eighth Grade is tough because it is so real and raw, and every single person can relate to it in a different way. I had people back then that I recommended it to. They watched it, and they're like, cool, thanks, John. Never going to watch that again because it was just it was too much. I had people who watched eighth grade halfway through and turned it off because it was uncomfortable in the sense of it was too raw. With this special, I think what saves this special, maybe not what saves it, what makes it different is that because the songs themselves break up those moments and the songs, even though the lyrics, again, are very poignant, the styles of the songs change and the imagery changes. So it kind of, it still gives you different things to pay attention to while under this overarching umbrella of depression and isolation and creativity and just pain that this artist is going through. Uh, the editing on this that, again, he did himself. What is funny is when you pull up, <laughs> when you pull up the credits uh, for, for this, yeah, uh, let me see. All cast and crew directed Bo Burnham. Right, writing credits, Bo Burnham. Produced by Josh Sr. and Cooper Wedd. Not sure how to pronounce that. Music, Bo Burnham. Cinematography, Bo Burnham. Editing, Bo Burnham. Like, he did almost everything. He had some help, it looks like, for the sound department as far as, like, re-recording and things like that, which makes sense. Like, doing all of this every step of the production would be super difficult. I do wonder, and this is just me being a just ridiculous audio nerd watching this, he used three different types of microphones, and I'm not quite sure why. He had like a Shure SM98, an Electrovoice RE320, a Shure SM7B, but everything sounded the same. Everything sounded balanced. Everything sounded great. And if he was recording that all in the same space where he shot everything, that sound department uh, looks like Joel Doherty and Scott Oyster. They had their work cut out for them to get everything balanced to sound as good. Maybe he did the recording a little bit later and did in a different treated room. But regardless, the sound was incredible. The editing was great. And again, just the way that Bo Burnham is able to show us what he was going through in a comedic and yet very dark way was interesting. And this was something that I was, I was a little bit hesitant to review at first. Because I was like, okay, I've never really reviewed a comedy special. I know what Bo Burnham's general comedy specials are. Like, that would be funny, but is it really something I need to review? Something that I need to analyze? I am so glad I did. Because this was something that totally took me off guard and is one of the most interesting pieces of film that you are going to watch this year. It is just, it is really fascinating. Uh, again, it is a lot of songs. There's not really much, there's not a story structure. So I would just talk about a couple of my favorite songs, which was FaceTime with my mom and White Woman's Instagram. Uh, <laughs> and again, these songs are very relatable through what a lot of us went through during quarantine when he talks about like FaceTiming with his mom and how his mom is holding the phone five inches from her face or at weird angles. I FaceTime with my family all the time. Uh, 
multiple times a week sometimes. My dad, still, just the way he holds his phone, I'm like, Dad, come on, please. Can you just angle it so I'm not looking directly up your nose, please? So things like that, super relatable, super funny. But like I said, he takes stabs at industries. And he talks about using his privilege as a white man to do these things. And that was really great. He talks about being problematic of some of the things that he used to do because he has been on the internet for a long time. So he talked about his growth. So yeah, it was just, it was again, it was a fascinating look into, into his mind again because we have seen this look into his mindset before, but this is just so intimate and so unique. Uh, so my official rating for Bo Burnham Inside is absolutely a good as well. Again, this truly is one of the most unique and rewarding film experiences that I have had in in a while. And I love that I got to review two different, I'm going to call them both musicals. Because essentially Inside, I mean it has a, a few pages of dialogue, but it is mostly songs. And I love that. So yeah, a uh, quick recap. So In the Heights, I gave a good two. Go see the movie immediately or pull up HBO Max and watch it there immediately. Uh, especially if you like musical theater, this is a, a huge return to musical theater in just the biggest, baddest way. And and I loved every second of it. Um, seeing <laughs> seeing people of a culture sing about their culture and their cultural language. Yeah, we need more of that. Weird. I know that is a hot take. Uh, but really, I think that was just one of the huge things that made this so special. Um, it was actually pretty funny. Lin-Manuel gave an interview for one of the press junkets leading up to this. And he talked about how for a lot of people, when they think of Puerto Ricans in a movie, the first image that comes to mind is a Greek man in brown face with a switchblade. He of course is referring to George Chakras from West Side Story. And he is right. Like that movie came out so long ago, but that is what people think of when they think of Puerto Ricans in a movie. I am so glad that this movie In the Heights exists and that this is going to be something that generations will look back on as better, I'm not saying best, but as a better representation of that culture. Like I said, the colorism absolutely should be addressed. And that is something that I hope does get addressed on higher levels because, yeah, it just it needs to needs to change Uh, very, very much needs to change. Uh, and then, of course, Bo Burnham Inside, which I just talked about, also got a good, really, really cool. Um, yeah, I was just it was an interesting exploration. Uh, then there was somebody else within the Heights. Oh, right. My goodness. Uh, one of the women that I talked about who gives that trio kind of that like Greek chorus, you know, that I mentioned uh, is somebody that some people will know from like Orange is the New Black and things like that is Dasha Polanco. My goodness. Uh, just body yaddy yaddy every time she is in front of the camera. Uh, and she just, she's incredible. Uh, I loved seeing her again in this being that she is Dominican, being that she is just a full figured woman. Like that was just great. And she just, yeah, she serves body every time the camera is on her. Um, okay. So those are the two reviews for this episode. Next week, I am planning on releasing yet another new episode with reviews for The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard with Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson, 
as well as the new Pixar movie, Luca, is what I'm planning for next week. Um, I also have a couple, I did record one episode last year that I feel super guilty for that I just have not released yet because again, anxiety and a lot of other factors. Uh, but yeah, I hope to release that also, just kind of a back catalog episode and I will make sure to let people know about that as well. But for this episode, thank you so much for spending time with me talking about these two films. It is good to be back. It is good to be back in the theater. It is good to be back behind the microphone talking to you, which I kind of feel like talking at you and I'm sorry for that. But again, kind of one-sided. Uh, there might be some ways that I can change that. I was thinking about doing some like Facebook Live type of things to make it more interactive. So we will get to that at some point. And again, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Follow the podcast on social media about at about to review and about to review.com. So for this episode, I have been your host, that guy named John, and I will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.